Hello and welcome to Flushing Transit Authority, the podcast that has cleared waivers and been claimed by your heart. We're still a Mets podcast, because why stop now? I mean, we're, we've come this far, we might as well uh, stick it out. Yeah, it's too late in the season to get picked up by a contender. <laughs> Here we are, we're, uh, we're a Mets podcast. Uh, at least we haven't been outrighted. It's true, we have not been designated for podcast assignments. <laughs> um, so hey, you know what? This is the point in the show where we talk about correction. You know, from time to time, even pros like us, we, we make mistakes. This happens very rarely, but when it does, we like to talk about it in a segment we call Corrections. So, hold on one second. Let me just scroll through my files here. Um, actually, do we have a correction this week? I, I don't think we do. We got everything right. I checked with the audio room and the video room, and they went through the replays, and, and my, my, my report sheet is empty. I don't think that's ever happened. We, we pitched a podcasting perfect game. Uh, I, I'm going to get on the horn to Cooperstown right wow. now. We batted a thousand. That never happens. No, wait. If we batted a thousand, the game would still be going on. <laughs> that would be the worst thing ever. Is that the podcasting cycle? Is that I guess. That's well, got to be something grander and weirder, though. The correction for this week is I was wrong. We have no corrections. We've gotten everything right. We have a one-game winning streak. Let's see if that lasts. So I guess time to get down to business. Let's do it. How are you doing today, Will? Uh, you know what? I'm good. It's August. The Mets are who we thought the Mets were. Yep. And um, these are these are what they um, traditionally refer to as the dog days. Yes. I have no idea where that expression comes from. Me neither. And But I do know that if you are a Mets fan in 2017, it means August is mm-hmm. low-pressure baseball. Pretty much. We had talked all season about all we want to do is get to <laughs> meaningful games in September. <laughs> Hashtag meaningless games. And we have got meaningless games from here on out. Like, you know me. I'm an optimist. Yeah. Yes. All yes, through you are. July... I was like, maybe there's some way. Like when they got to like four games under 500, mm-hmm. and I'm like, maybe they make a little run here. <laughs> they get to maybe they get to like a couple of games over 500. Maybe we get to September, and there may be only five games out of the wild card, <laughs> like with six teams ahead of them. Stranger things have happened, right? So I I dreamt. I was like, maybe, but now it's August. Mm-hmm. What are we, 11 games under 500? I think they've lost seven of the last nine, is that correct? And, they, and you know, they're playing a three-game set with the Dodgers, which mm-hmm. means going to get swept mm-hmm. because the Dodgers are unstoppable. <laughs> I, as someone who lives in L.A. and yeah. has never adopted the Dodgers, that kills me. Yeah. But it's how it's going. So I just have to face reality. This season is over. We're playing to get to 500 right now. That's yes. that's all we we can hope for is to just eke one game over 500. That's it. 82 and 80. <laughs> that's all we're looking for. 82 wins or bust. However, if you look at the current math, basically, I think the Mets have to drastically exceed their. They basically have to play like 650 baseball from yes. here on out to finish 500. Not good. Not gonna happen. It, it's sort of, I don't know if you remember the, talk about dog days. The dog days of like 1995. Ooh. 1995 Mets were brutal. It was that post-strike year. Mm. Um, 
everybody was sort of down on baseball. Dallas Green was managing the team. Oh, yeah, I've blocked that whole era out. And the only, it was, I think the only reason I went to as many games as I did that year was because I took advantage of a lot of specials they had at Shea. <laughs> but I remember going to Shea in like April, not April, like May of 95. Season started in late April. So by May, like there's a homestand, I see my brother on a Saturday, I just get in the car and go to Shea. And we show up at noon for a one, like a 105 start. And I got a parking spot, like, two spots away from the stadium. Like, I, I, like, I was like, oh, plenty of parking, half-price concession. But anyway, the only reason I was going to games was because of discounts, and they were terrible. Mm-hmm. And then they somehow won the last six games of the season. <laughs> and it was like, they're just getting hot right now, and the season comes to an end. So, like, anytime the Mets string two wins in a row, I'm like, oh, it's on. Yeah. We have righted the ship. It is going to be great. And that's not happening. Like, right now, if you're watching the games, and I'm still watching the games, you're doing so purely for the love of the game. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, we've talked about this in, in the past. Like, we have to let go of, of, of the outcomes and just watch because you enjoy the game itself. You enjoy the players. You enjoy the personalities. You enjoy... The broadcasters, we, uh, we've made no bones about the fact that we feel that the Mets broadcasting teams, both TV and radio, are the best in the business. And everyone likes to say that about their own teams, but they're wrong. Uh, the Mets broadcasters are the best in the business. And the Mets teams, you know, the Mets radio and TV teams are probably the best in the business when the games are terrible. Yes, yes. I, that is a that is a very important and specific skill set. Like it's one thing to be able to call a game when it's close and when it's intense and and to bring out the drama and there are a few better at that than Howie Rose and Gary Cohn. But it's a completely different skill set to keep us entertained when the stuff that's happening on the field is just dreadful. Yeah, I would argue that I would rather listen to Whatever combination of Gary Keith and Ron you have in the booth um, in a blowout where Gary's talking about going to CBGB, um, <laughs> he's talking about, you know, talking about television and X and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Did you hear the, I think it was sometime last week that uh, Ron Darling was telling a story about when he was a rookie. Uh, and he didn't he didn't rat out who did this, but he was a rookie and he was in the Mets clubhouse and he was reading a book and a veteran came by and slapped the book out of his hand and was like, there's no reading in the clubhouse, rookie. Would you be surprised if you heard that it was his broadcast partner who did that? <laughs> I would not be surprised. I would not, although Keith Hernandez is uh, has always been a big reader, so I mm-hmm. doubt it was him now that I think about it. But do you think Darling came up? As a rookie the first time during the 83 or 84 season? Sometime around that, 84, I think. So I'm trying to think, who would have been... George Foster? I don't think George Foster was... George George Foster spoke to people. Exactly. My favorite George Foster story, and it's in Jeff Perlman's book about the six Mets, is how George Foster used to sell bootleg, like, um, clothing. (laughs) Um, he would go, he would show up at the clubhouse... With, like, bootleg members-only jackets wow. or bootleg, like, you know, sweatshirts. And he would sell them to his teammates, but also try to work out a deal with the opposing team's clubhouse guy to sell them to the opposing team. He had a sideline. 
hey, everyone got a you know, ball player's career is over faster than you think it is. You've got to put things away for the future. You've got to develop a marketable skill set to carry you past when your playing days are, are, are over. you got to side hustle. Yeah. So, everyone needs a side hustle, even George Foster. <laughs> this episode brought to you by George Foster's Side Hustle. <laughs> so, what we did have over the last uh, two weeks since we last met to talk about this was the trade deadline. Trade deadline has come and gone. We should um, specify the non-waiver trade deadline. I'm, uh, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I have the, uh, the, the WaiverWire 9000 app on all of my devices, and I'm mm. constantly checking it. Uh, it. I'm in a fantasy waiver league, right. um, and it's, it's, it's really exciting. It, it, it's almost like, like uh, chess or go to like mm. watch how the PI. I don't know what that one's about. I have a thing Nobody actually understands how waiver yes. works. I subscribe to a thing called Waiver Saver, which... <laughs> Alerts you yeah. to every player who's been put on waivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's waiversaver.sex. Uh, Look, <laughs> it's weird that that's what it is. But that's well, all the is. other waiver saver domains were taken, obviously. Waversaver.edu, yes. waversaver.co.uk. Right. So it turns out there's no actual rule that says only major league teams can can claim a player off waivers. Mm-hmm. So I've been making claims furiously. <laughs> so far, everyone, the team has pulled the player back. But I look, really thought you had a shot at Jay Bruce coming over to make enchiladas. I really, look, I, I, I made an offer. Yeah. I was willing to, I, don't, I won't even tell you what I was willing to trade <laughs> to get Curtis Granderson over. Yeah, um, I can imagine. So <laughs> it, um, waiver saver. Yeah. Check it out. So let's talk about moves the Mets actually did make. This was a really interesting um, um, trade deadline because in my memory, and this could be wrong and I could just be getting old and and forget things, but in my memory, this is the first trade deadline in the uh, social media era where the Mets are sellers. Like, we've been buyers for the past few years. Mm -hmm. This is the first year that we've been sellers and we've also had Instagram accounts for all the players and yep. Snapchat accounts for all the players. And it's been different. There's something different this year about the emotional relationship between the fans and the players and watching them get traded. Right. And we all saw, and, and we'll, we'll try and dig up the link for it and put it in the show notes, the, the brilliant uh, Instagram and, uh, and Snapchat of Curtis Granderson holding on to Lucas Duda's leg, begging him not to go. Yes. And it's hysterical and sad and amazing. And and at, at the end of the day, may be the high point of this whole season. <laughs> well, and it's a reminder that, like, these are people. And that they are, they are teammates and they are friends. And we think of this game as a, as a, a pastime and a business. Um... But there are 25 guys in the clubhouse who care about one another. Not just in the clubhouse. They're, like, on planes every few days. They're in hotels every night together. They spend, they probably spend more time together than they do with their families. Yes. So it's, again, it's a a reminder that they are people first. Yeah. So, I mean, the Mets' two, you know, notable moves were the trade of Lucas Duda to Tampa Bay. And Addison Reed going to going to Boston. Now, 
in neither of these moves did the Mets get any sort of marquee names back. In Duda's case, they got a pitching prospect who, look at his numbers, his, you know, I always look at, um, you know, a pitcher's um, strikeouts to walks ratio Mm -hmm. or their, you know, their K per nine ratio. And the pitcher that they got for Lucas Duda... Drew Smith. Drew Smith has got a chance. He's got a chance to be a solid bullpen arm in the sort of Addison Reed, Mm -hmm. Jerry Blevins mold, somebody who can come out... Um, yeah, as a dependable arm out of the out of the pen. I don't look at any of those stats. I look at the player's Twitter account. <laughs> and um, what Drew Smith tweeted was about how he drove over a thousand miles to get to Binghamton to join the Rumble Ponies, mm-hmm. and how he saw how much the Mets fans loved Lucas Duda, and he hoped to have something of that kind of relationship with them and make them feel happy with having him be part of the team instead. And yeah. that, to me, bespeaks a level of kind of emotional awareness yes. that makes me even more excited to see if he can, uh, if he yeah. can make it. Oh, you root for somebody like that. And totally. that's the, the beauty of, okay, social media can be a garbage fire, and it brings out the worst in us, but the connections that it builds, yeah. you know, how many people who aren't Mets fans are aware of Lucas Duda through the We Follow Lucas Duda Instagram, which, in a genius social media move, the account has been traded yes. along with Duda. So now Sergio Romo is managing <laughs> the We Follow Lucas Duda account and, and doing a fine job. In fact, I think he's, he's really embraced it. And yeah. honestly... I mean, that first... that first link, the first Instagram from him before the, even the trade went through, yeah. where like Sergio Romo is following Duda around in mm-hmm. the Tampa Bay clubhouse, and it's like, yes! The meme continues. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, you're right, it may be the high point, yeah. it may be the thing that we remember this yeah. season for, um, but it's interesting, like, I, when a team, when a player leaves the team that I root for in any sport... I tend to then pay attention to that player's career mm-hmm. going forward. So like, I've tuned into a couple of, of Devil Rays games. I'm sorry, Rays games mm-hmm. to see, to see Duda. Um, and it's weird to see him yeah. in another uniform. So confession time. Um, yeah. I fully expected that Duda was going to get traded to the Yankees. Me too. And I had started to emotionally prepare myself to follow the Yankees into the playoffs and pull for them for Lucas's sake. And I know that that's a that's a big deal for New Yorkers yeah. to, to do that. And I don't do that lightly. And and we have we have teased over the course of the season that at some point we want to do a, a whole episode to talk about about. Um, the Yankees and the mass relationship with the Yankees. And I still want to do that. Um, um, so in some sense, I'm, I'm a little relieved that they didn't, yeah. they didn't trade him to the Yankees. So I don't have to do that. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think I'm going to go out of the way to watch the Rays. The Rays are weird to watch. Yeah. The Rays play in that weird ballpark. Yeah. Um, it just, a Rays game on TV looks different than any other game on TV. And I don't mean that in a good way. Yeah. Like, you know, like, if you're flipping through channels, 
and you get to a game that's being played at, you know, the Tropicana Field, and you're like, oh, this is different. Yeah. This feels weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in, in the complete opposite way that, you know, when the Mets play an AL team that they only play once every three years, like they played the Mariners last week, and you flip the TV on, it's like, oh, safe cup, that's right. Wow, yeah. that's a really nice ballpark. Yeah. Um, the Trop is the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember back when the rumor was back in the late 80s that the Giants were going to move yeah. to Tampa? Yep. Um. Just wonder how things would have been like what alternate sort of history where because there was different at different times there was talk that the Giants and the White Sox the White Sox was the other we're going right. to move yeah so like how does history play out differently uh, and we can you know we can debate this all day long we can debate it but for the love of Pete let's not make an HBO show about it oh man <laughs> I mean <laughs> let's not get down that rabbit hole but like let's. I, yeah, I was not because I have yeah. a lot to say about about vinyl, and then um, yeah. Well, it's not on HBO. The Showtime series "I'm Dying Up Here" mm-hmm. about uh, stand-up Santa comics, comics in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. It's I can go. Uh, I can go on a whole. I need a side podcast. We need a side this. podcast. Side hustle. A side podcast. This episode brought to you by side podcasts. <laughs> so let's talk about Addison Reed. We've yes. talked about Lucas Duda. Let's talk about the loss of Addison Reed, which is, is another one of those where it's like, yes, you have to trade him. You absolutely have to trade right. him. He's a peak value. Peak value. Um, it still hurts. It's still, I am still saddened that he's not with us anymore. Could we have gotten more than three prospects for him? I don't know. Yeah, but he, he's a, essentially a rental. Yeah. Unless the, Unless the Red Sox want to back up a truck full of money yeah. to him over the winter. Um, you know, I look at this really the same way you do. Let's had no choice. The smart move yeah. was to move this chip and get anything back for it. Yeah. And when you think about, basically, Reed spent two years on the Mets. He came to the team around the trade deadline in 2015. He came to the team in August. He was a waiver trade you were in right. August. From from, from Arizona. Arizona in a season where they had sent him to the minors that year. So You're right. I he was a gem. So like, they gave up essentially nothing yeah. of any consequence. No offense to the players who got moved. I hope that they, you know, that they have fine careers. But the players that they moved to get Addison Reed two years ago would not have helped the Mets yeah. in, a, in a meaningful yeah. way. Yeah. So... They essentially got Addison Reed for nothing and got two years of well above replacement level mm-hmm. um, relief help. Yeah. Um, he got a solid, more than solid, probably for the time he was the eighth inning guy, you know, best in the business. And he filled in some rough spots this yeah. year as a closer. So, great job. I mean, say what you want about, you know, Sandy Alderson. And the Mets front office, but that is a sort of under the radar trade that makes the difference. Absolutely. When we talk about 2015, we talk about Cespedes, we talk about David Wright coming back. All of that is wonderful, but Addison Reed getting basically picked up for nothing. Yeah. The Huge. fact that they got two super productive years that, that revitalized his career. Yeah. Um, made a difference for the Mets getting to the postseason two years in a row. Great deal. And for that, I will always be grateful and always be a fan of Addison Reed. And speaking of 
under the radar trades. We got AJ Ramos. Who is expecting that? Well, it's funny. Um, I was driving. I was listening to the game in the car, and I'm not looking at my phone. But my phone is beeping yeah. because <laughs> I'm getting emails and texts. Um, my friend Anthony, who is a who's a big Mets fan, and Anthony, if you're listening, hello. Um, I probably see Anthony about once every two years. But we email each other about the Mets, I would say, 300 days a year. <laughs> like, not even, like, you know, basically, when the season ends, I, I jokingly send him an email saying, see you in April. <laughs> but we even talk during the offseason, but I probably email him about the Mets 300 out of 365 days of the year. So he's like... AJ Ramos, what's the deal with this? <laughs> Five minutes later, it's like, oh, wait, I think I see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, this is prep for the Addison Reed move. Um, Ramos is also under contract next yes. year. It is the clearest so, statement that I could imagine from Sandy Alderson that the Mets are not going away, the Mets that plan, they intend to compete next yeah, year. The Mets plan on reloading. Um, or is this what they refer to as the hot rebuild? I've seen that phrase <laughs> I don't know. tossed around. I don't know. Um, I, I, I've never pretended to be someone who um, has an encyclopedic knowledge of players on other teams. Right. I follow the Mets. I like the personalities on the, that team. I, I don't spend a lot of time boning up on the players on the other teams. So when we got... <laughs> so when we got... Um, when we got Ramos, when the Ramos trade was announced, I was like... Oh, Jay Ramos. Like, I, I, the name's familiar, but I, I couldn't place him. Yeah. Then he came into his first game as a Matt, and I was like, oh, it's that guy. It's bend over, bend back up, rock back and forth once, twice, three times, then look in for the sign from the catcher. Okay, that's either going to be really entertaining or really annoying. It's only as entertaining as he is effective. <laughs> and, you know, I always hope that the problem with Ramos is that he's, he gives up a lot of walks. Mm -hmm. um, you always hope that your coaching staff can do something mm -hmm. to unlock the magic that helps a player overcome that difficulty. Yeah. But it really gets to the question, what do the Mets look like in 2018 now? Well, I mean, there were a couple of trades that weren't made. Um, at this at this deadline, and they could still happen, but now we're starting to hear um, rumblings that hey, maybe the Mets will resign Jay Bruce. I think hey, maybe they'll take um, Cabrera back and invoke his option and keep him at third base. And this makes me nervous. Um, I have been on record on this podcast previously as wanting to get everybody out who we can get out. That I, as much as I enjoy Jay Bruce, as much as an asset he is on this team, and as much in a perfect world, I would love to have him back. I want Michael Conforto in right field every day. I want a real center fielder, and I want a third baseman who can hit, who we can rely on. Right. And now that we're talking about, like, well, maybe we have Cabrera. Cabrera is not an answer. Cabrera, I mean, I like Cabrera as a human being. Yeah. Um, I like Cabrera as a teammate. I think Cabrera is just, you know, he's everything you want in a ball player. Um, he, he hustles. 
He seems like a good citizen. He's, he's a solid baseball player. But the fact of the matter is, he is he's a statue in the NBA. Yeah. And we've talked about how the defense has let the team down this year. Um, and the team has played to their abilities. The front office thought, we can overcome our defensive liabilities because we have a strikeout team. Yeah. Well, when your starters go down, yeah. and suddenly you're not striking batters out, and a lot of ground balls are going through that infield. And, you know, the way the Mets are constructed right now, there aren't a ton of available spots to make a serious upgrade. You know, Cespedes isn't going anywhere. Conforto isn't going anywhere. By the end of this season, Dom Smith will be playing first base. You've got Rosario up uh, at shortstop, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that in detail in a minute. Um, there's second base, there's third base, there's center field, and maybe catcher if they decide to do something about replacing um, Travis Darnell. But when you start talking about like, oh, maybe we you know keep Bruce and maybe we keep as Drupal Cabrera, how are we going to have a team next year that's any better than what we feel right today without there? relying on? And as as excited as we are about Rosario and Smith, they're still rookies. You cannot. Right. Count on them to carry the team. Right. The, I don't, I wouldn't say that this is, I have nothing other than the fact that I like this idea and I have to um, credit um, um, Mets fans in LA, uh, leader Marco, who suggested mm, yes. this. But what if they're just holding on to hope that one, David Wright takes a buyout mm-hmm. and after the 2000, 18 season, Manny Machado is a free agent. Ooh. Wow, that could be. Uh, that, 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 I'm, I'm salivating at but the thought of that. That's a long way away. Well, I mean, the thing about that is, is if that's the case, I think you can keep Bruce or Cabrera. Mm-hmm. You can't keep both of them. Well, they get to a point where they have too many yeah. players and yeah. not enough positions. Yeah, to I fill. mean, they're there now. Um, In the infield right now, you've already got. Look at your infield right. right. Let's take Dom Smith out of the equation because he hasn't been brought up yet. But you've got infielders on this team. Reyes, Rosario, Cabrera. Um, and then, like, a patchwork of... Flores, Chikini. Yeah. You know, like, um, Actually, um, did, TJ Rivera. Did Chikini get traded? No. No, no, he was he was taken out of a minor league game. Yes. And then we, we all thought, thought he was, he was getting traded. traded, and then he wasn't. Yes. So, yeah. Hashtag hug watch. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of... The Mets have a lot of players who can play multiple positions but are not solid at yeah. any of those positions. And I would rather, again, see a through first baseman at first. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, let's talk about shortstop, actually. Before we move on to that, um, one thing I did want to uh, mention is we saw uh, the Mets just played the Rockies last week, and we mm-hmm. got our first look at um, Jonathan Lucroy as a. Um, as a Rocky. And I don't remember him much when he was on the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's been in Texas for the past year. Right. And there have been some rumblings that you know, he is going to be the top free agent catcher this year. Right. And the Mets could decide to move on from Travis Darnot. And, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I will tell you what I do think about Jonathan Lucroy is that he looks like if you had mixed in a lab uh, Rockies outfielder Charlie Blackman and Ben Grant from the state and Reno 911. <laughs> like, that's all I could see okay. watching him this week. All so, right. uh, so in that sense, like, okay, that, that could work. 
Um, Jonathan Lucroy is responsible for what I consider to be the worst Twitter fan take I've ever read. Ooh. During, I want to say, the 2000, maybe 14 All-Star Game, mm -hmm. um, Jonathan Lucroy was the starting National League catcher um, over Yadi Molina. Uh -huh. And I think Molina may have been hurt. I don't quite remember. But Adam Wainwright was the starting pitcher. Uh -huh. And Adam Wainwright gives up two runs in the first inning. It's the All-Star Game. Who cares? Who cares? So the Twitter take immediately after the inning was a Cardinals fan, who are the worst, by the way, was a Cardinals fan saying, well, you know, Wayno wouldn't have given up those two runs if he was thrown to his own catcher. Oh, my God. Ah, there, is um, no, there is no shortage of stupidity. Um, like, that yeah. may be the worst take yeah. I have seen. So, you know... The Mets made us wait longer than we wanted to, and we've made our listeners wait longer than they've wanted to. Why don't we get around to it? Let's talk about the new kid on the block. Rosario Mania Ahmed is here. Rosario is here. He is on the team. How do you feel so far? It's been four games? Um, is he the savior? Is he going to lead us to the promised land? You know, small sample size. But I like <laughs> making rash decisions on small sample sizes. Uh, yes, you do. Um, at this pace, Ahmed Rosario will set the all-time team record for triples. This season, he's mm -hmm. going to do it. Yes. <laughs> um, here's what I like about it. Well, you should break Mickey Mantle's um, um, record for hits in consecutive games in a, in, a, in a month and a half. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, so, the, here's what I like about Rosario. He's here. Yes. He's getting a chance to play. Yes. Everything else is gravy. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't care if he hits 150. Mm -hmm. He should be in the lineup every day for the rest of the season. Um, let's see what he can do. This is low stakes from a team perspective. Put him out there. Yeah. Um, what I love about him is that it is a shortstop who is a shortstop, who can play the position, cover the ground, make the throws. That is the one thing that I've noticed so far that has me a little concerned, is, is his throws. Mm -hmm. His throwing, they're, they're a little lollipop. They're a little, like, like, and I remember watching the first couple and being surprised that, like, it's not quite the David Wright sidearm thing, mm -hmm. but it does look like his throws go up. Yeah. Before they go down, as He's, opposed to being like on a direct line, he he can. That's something that can be taught. I hope that's so. something that it's it's probably a mental thing. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably good enough to get mm -hmm. runners out. Yeah, you know, in you know, double A and triple A, he will he will work that out. I hope you're right because um, I, I I saw a couple of those throws and I was like, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, the he's here. He's here. Let's see what he can do. We have a good opportunity here for him to get into, you know, appear in 50 games. Mm -hmm. um, let's just see what happens. The speed is nice to see. Yeah. It those, is. Those, those two triples that he's hit so far. Those, those, One those of them pretty. was a double that they he scored. Would, he would have been there. Like, he, that's why they gave him third base. I saw is it. That he would have yeah. made it. Um yeah, it's just refreshing. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I've really enjoyed, again, when you get into a low-stakes situation, 
like just a couple of opportunities to see you and assessment just throw runners out oh, the last man. week. And it's because the Mets have had runners have let runners <laughs> on base constantly. Yeah. But seeing Cespedes and Conforto as well. Yeah. Conforto has played a surprisingly solid um, outfield. But getting back to Rosario, um, it's nice to have somebody with mobility in the infield. Yes. It's nice to have somebody who, again, we talked about it, love Cabrera, can't make the, the plays The anymore. number of times I've seen ground balls that Cabrera's just kind of waved at mm-hmm. and like, like that, that Rosario will be able to get to is, yeah. is, is immense. I will never tire of Keith Hernandez saying that a player matadored it. <laughs> when he just yeah. does the wave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I'm optimistic. But it, it makes me think about Mets call ups of the past. Like throughout, you know, we're both roughly, you know, around the same age. Mm-hmm. So like I remember Daryl Strawberry's first game. Like I remember Keith Hernandez's first game as a Met. Um, I remember Daryl Strawberry getting called up. I remember Doc Gooden's debut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Doc Gooden came out of nowhere, kind of. But I'm thinking of, like, in-season call-ups. Yeah. And the two that come to mind is, one, Daryl Strawberry coming up in May of 83. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, immediately was appointment viewing. <laughs> you know, I'm nine years old in 1983. Yeah. And I remember, you know, sitting in my backyard that day waiting for the game and practicing hitting wiffle balls left-handed. I remember hearing how excited everyone else was mm-hmm. by this. And I don't think I, like, kind of understood what it was I was looking at. But I could tell that everyone else was saying, this guy is going to be special. And, and it, that kind of buzz is, is, is intoxicating. And the name helped. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm a kid. Daryl Strawberry. Yeah, is, is coming up to the team. I still have the uh, baseball glove that I wore uh, for the Little League games I played was uh, red and had Daryl Strawberry signature on it. And mm. I still have it somewhere. You know, I have to say, every now and then, I'm like, I don't own a baseball glove. Yeah. I haven't owned a baseball glove for yeah. 15 years. I've owned, I have a couple. I haven't used either of them in probably 15 years, but I uh, keep carting them with me wherever still I go. Go get the gloves. Yeah. Let's go outside. Let's go play catch. Um, and then the next call up that I remember anticipating mm-hmm. and then following was Greg Jeffries getting called mm-hmm. up in the 1988 season. And the reason that is especially relevant and poignant today is Greg Jeffries turned 50 years old this week. Oh, my God. And as someone who remembers Greg Jeffries as a 21-year-old... Wow. Um, Let's go uh, swing some bats in pool. In yeah, I'm going to go pool just in, swing in, a, in his honor. Yeah, I'm going to go swing a bat underwater. Um, for those of you who may be too young to remember that, there was a Sports Illustrated article that ran in, like, the winter of 1988 that was all about... Greg Jeffries, the phenom for the Mets, mm-hmm. and his training regimen. And the thing that stuck out in my mind, and I'm learning it stuck out in the mind of many other people my age, was Greg Jeffries had this exercise he did where he would swing a bat in a pool. Like he would go stand like up to his chest in the pool and swing the bat underwater. I don't know what this was supposed to do. I guess it's probably the same... Um... The same idea as putting weights on your bat and yeah. just increasing the weight and the resistance and, and as a strength exercise. 
I guess, in a heavy rain that could have come in handy. Maybe, I don't know. It's, but it's one of those things that has stuck with me now for 30 years. Yeah. Um, so happy birthday, Greg Jeffries. I want to say that, Mr. Jeffries, first of all, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes. Secondly, you were a much better player as a Met than Met fans give you credit for. Um, could you imagine if there was social media around when Greg Jeffries played and the, the, the amount of backbiting and well, backstabbing that he was subjected to? And we had that version. Like, remember, Greg Jeffries came to the Mets and was an absolute sensation in for about a 35-game span in the 1988 season. Um, towards the end of the year, the Mets reduced his playing time because they wanted to preserve his rookie status. Mm. So he ended the 88 season on the postseason roster, had a solid postseason in the NLCS that they lost to the Dodgers, um, but he was still a rookie going into 1989 and was supposed to be just the you know, best player on the team. Uh, Keith actually told a story last week on air about Greg Jeffries. He didn't get too far into it, but he did mention how um, Jeffries had uh, bats made by a specific company in Japan mm -hmm. and that apparently he requested that his bats be kept in a separate container when they traveled. Yeah. And that did not sit well yeah, with so. the veterans on the team. Exactly. So those who weren't around for it, the veteran teammates thought that Jeffries was prima donna, mm -hmm. thought that Jeffries had his own set of rules. Um, and at this, as this was happening, WFAN and sports radio in general was exploding. Mm -hmm. So Jeffries, the prima donna, became, Jake, to use one of your favorite words, became the prevailing narrative yeah. around yeah. Greg Jeffries. Yeah. Um, it became the thing that defined him even more than his performance on the field. And he struggled, yeah. which made it more difficult. And eventually, basically, Greg Jeffries got run out of town. Yeah. Um, he put together a solid career. I know he made at least one all-star team, maybe two. And then he walked away from the game at like age 34. Like he walked away at a relatively young age. <laughs> and good for him. Good for him. But it's, it's amazing to feel, you know, that... Players that we knew as essentially children <laughs> are yes. now over 50. Um, I mean, I have not aged. At all. At all. I'm, yeah. still, I'm still 14 years old. <laughs> um, and I was 14 when, when yeah. Greg Jeffries came up. Yeah. And if he's 50, damn it, I'm not getting any younger. I always say if you want to feel old, just look at a photo of Lenny Dykstra. Oh, man. Lenny. Stay off the steroids, kids. Yeah. Stay off of anything that Lenny Dykstra recommends. Speaking of uh, messages, do we, uh, do we have a sponsor for this we, week's episode? We do, actually. Um, this came in late. I got a, um, I had a, I just got some, some ad stuff here. So this episode of Flushing Transit Authority is brought to you by MetsUndies.com. Do you wear underwear? If you're like me, the answer is usually no because it's hard to find comfortable underwear that also has a Mets logo on it. Well, that's changed thanks to Mets Undies, the underwear that puts the Mets in your pants. In your pants. Is that is that the actual ad copy? I, 
This can't be real. This, this, where, where did this come from? This came from MetsUndies.com. I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to look into that. That that well, just doesn't. I mean, I know there are no standards and practices for podcasts, but I don't know. I don't know, guys. Go to MetsUndies.com. It's the underwear that puts the Mets in your pants. I don't know if I can stand behind that as a slogan because have the Mets players consented to this? There, there, there are some interesting issues to be raised. Here. I mean, do um, I need to make twenty-five phone calls before I put these on? <laughs> I'm nervous. Look, they sent me a they sent me a pair. Oh, did they? They did. Yeah. Um, Were there any Mets in there? No, no. Okay, well, that's good. It's got the logo, okay. and then on the back are all the team. That's the team picture on the back. Um, that's a little. Suspect. It's a little. It's a little loaded. Yeah. And, and that's probably the poor choice of words <laughs> to use. But they're um, antimicrobial. Um, they're comfort. Hmm. They have they're very comfortable. Silver woven in for. They uh, do. For... They they hold you in all the yeah, right places. That's good. Um, but they really have to work on this slogan. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. Mets Undies, our probably short-lived sponsor. Yeah, we're going to have, not, to, uh, have to have a... I'm not saying this. We're going to have to have a conversation with our ad sales department. I'm, there's something in here about raw dog in it. It's They get weird. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, just MetsUndies.com. Check them out. Get the Mets in your pants. Let's get back to the show. Okay. I guess we have to talk about the games that have happened in the last two weeks, as painful as that might be. I guess. Yeah, as I said, I, I gave up. Yeah. I stopped looking at the standings. I don't even know what the Mets record is right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter. Mm. I'm going to say this. I loved the second game of the Rocky series. Yeah. I think the Mets ended up winning like 10-5. to 5. Mm-hmm. And there's one inning where they just, everything fell into place. I watched most of the Rocky series, but wouldn't you know it? You that was the inning I missed. Yes. It was like a magical inning. Yeah. Where just two out hits, mm-hmm. everything fell into place. The Rosario triple, um, the yeah. first of the two, and it's just like this is this is why I love baseball. Well, I mean, this is what we've been saying since the beginning of the season. Like it's been a bad season. But with few exceptions, the Mets have been in almost all the games. Like, they haven't been going out there and stinking up the joint and being blown out by 10 runs unless they're playing the Dodgers. But apart from that, like, they're, like, so close to being a good team, except they're not. Yes. So they play this wonderful game on um, Wednesday Big win. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they start out down five nothing. They come back and win ten to five. It's wonderful. Love it. We get to Wednesday. It's a day game. So you know, I'm, we've I'm, already I'm, talked about how the day games are not not where the Mets are doing remotely well this year. Yeah, I think really the Mets could benefit from maybe putting a dome on the stadium and claiming that every game is a night game. But we get to uh, this day game on Thursday. And the Mets lose in one of the most Mets ways possible, which is a Hansel Robles um, walk-off walk, meaning he gives up the walk. He also gives up the walk on, it's academic, but a wild pitch. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that, and I'm going to quote this directly, um, that uh, our buddy Hansel was having some physical difficulties. I'm going to quote the New York Post, Mike Puma, who says, Robles had numbness in his fingers pitching the ninth. 
In the eighth, he landed awkwardly and pinched his genitals, prompting Ray Ramirez's visit. So I think the clear implication here is that Hansel does not get his underwear from MetsUndies.com. And this, if he were to do that, then perhaps there would not be the problem with numbness in his fingers. Now, let's take this a step further. Numbness in his fingers was the first sign that Matt Harvey had that led to his diagnosis of thoracic output syndrome. So perhaps Matt should be getting his underwear from MetsUndies.com as well. Mm. This, I, I think this, this could be a much bigger story than we, uh, than, than we initially thought. Huh, I hadn't thought of the implications. No wonder they were so anxious to sponsor this episode. Yeah. Because they gave me, like, double the fee. Huh. Huh. All right, we're going we're gonna to have to look into this. This, uh, this might be the rabbit hole to something oh. much, much bigger. So, what do we do for the next two weeks? Um, well, we don't really have much of a choice other than to just game. hang in there. Well, so, we're recording this on Saturday morning. There mm. are a couple more games against the Dodgers. And we should talk about this because the Dodgers are on a run unlike we've seen for a really, really long time. The Dodgers are probably the best National League team. I'm going to just say the Dodgers are probably going to finish. Um, the Dodgers could make a run at Seattle's yeah. record. They will certainly, I think, surpass the 86 Mets. And I, I'd have to go look at the numbers, but do the 86 Mets, is that the, has any, has any National League team exceeded 108 wins since then? Don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember it offhand. But, you know, we are in, and we're looking at a possibly historic record this year. Now, as we often remind our listeners, we both live in Los Angeles. So we are exposed to the Dodgers more than any other team besides the Mets. And under normal conditions, I would be happy for the Dodgers. Um, there are a lot of people on the Dodgers that are, you know, laudable, that are fun to root for, that are fun to watch, that, you know, especially in a season where the Mets are not going to be in the postseason, um, it might be nice to pull for the hometown team in when they're having a historic season. Can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot do it. Cannot do it for one reason and one reason only. And it starts with a C and it ends with a Hase Utley. And I just cannot get on the bandwagon. I just will not do it. Now, I don't wish ill physical harm on anyone. However, if somebody were to hit Chase Utley with a, a, a thrown uh, pitch and say, I don't know, just break his leg and just just just, just to pick a pick a body part. Um, which result would result in him missing the rest of the season? Then I could be totally on board with the Dodgers winning the World Series. Well, I can't, I can't back that because I, I don't want to wish physical violence on anyone, even accidental. Even let's say the Giants, just for the last game they play against the Dodgers this year, um, sign Ruben Tejada <laughs> and bring him out of the bullpen to throw a few in. Let's. I mean, just to throw a random name out there. Just, just, just to pick a random name right. out there. I don't know like, where that one like, came from, yeah. but there it is. Um, I would tune in for that. But, but we both agree that we do not wish violence or physical right. harm or However, hurt on anyone. if you wanted to frame Chase Utley for murder or money laundering 
or something that would put or him in prison. S- or selling counterfeit clothes out Ooh, of the clubhouse. Yes. Or, yeah, something. Has Chase Utley been seen in a members-only jacket? Hmm. Or some sort of Chase Utley sort of... Can we can we tie Chase Utley into this whole Russia thing? <laughs> um, if we can just send Chase Utley to prison, I would accept that. I would send Chase Utley to Hawaii. Ooh. Like, doesn't have to be prison. Go. Go, go to Hawaii. Take, take, a, take a load off. Take a powder. Right. We, now, we should, we should wrap up today by sharing the biggest story in baseball. I can't believe we waited until the end. I, I can't either. Last night, 44-year-old Bartolo Colon pitched a complete game. Unbelievable. 44-year-old Bartolo Colon pitched a complete game for the Minnesota Twins. I, I, I read that, and somehow my mind just kept changing complete to perfect. And, like, it, it's not, but it might as well be. But you know what? My Bartolo Colon, just keep doing it, buddy. Just just keep on keeping on. Yep. There we have it. All right. I think there is no better way to, to, to wrap up than on a, on, a, on a Bartolo watch. So uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll speak again in a couple of weeks. Yep. Um, it's not going to get any better. But Let's you just know remind what? ourselves. It's not going to get any worse. But it can't get it. Well, it could get worse, but it's not going to get any worse. And let's, you know, Dominic Smith's watch. Start yes, Dominic place. Smith watch. And, you know, I still think there's going to be at least one uh, trade in August. Yeah, somebody's going to go. I would not be surprised if it's Cabrera. I would not be surprised if the um, the public conversation about, well, maybe we'll keep him, and it is just kind of gamesmanship to right. uh, to drive up his price or to as part of the conversations that they're having with a potential trade partner. Right, and we don't know who is... We know that every player is going to be placed on waivers to see who clears. Yes. So... I think I was just placed on waivers. Yeah, no, I've been traded to another podcast. Oh, oh wow. It's so great. All right. Well, uh, yeah. hang on. Let me get my uh, let me get my Snapchat rolling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been traded to Can I Pet Your Dog. It's oh, terrific. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, on that note... All right. So I guess uh, in the next episode of uh, Flushing Transit Authority, it'll be me and AJ Ramos. Whoever, and we'll, uh, whoever we get in return. Yeah. I, for a podcast, we'll be named later. So oh, all right. All right. It so we'll all be, be anyone. We'll, we'll, we'll all be waiting to, to see who that is. Exactly. Well, Jay, thank you very much. Thanks, Will. Talk to Let's you again mess. soon.